0: Good morning. This time span of these last few weeks and the upcoming few weeks, we have centered our weekend times on this thing called playlist. This is, a, this is the book, okay? This, this is held together or expressed through story, through letters, through some prophetic uh, passages and through songs probably 185 songs here. Uh, you have the Psalms, which are 150, but there are many places even in the New Testament that scholars say, that's a song. That, that had a tune connected to it. And, and the reason we wanted to go here, if I can put it that way, is that there's built into us, into mankind, <clears throat> the need to worship, the need to belong, the need to sing, and the need to sing together. Some songs, call up feelings and memories so deep that we never get over them and we never want to. Six weekends ago, at Denver International Airport at 8.45 in the morning, it was Sunday, it happened to be September 11. There was an announcement made as people were going through security just to pause for a moment, and this is what it looked like and sounded like. young friends Ryan who works with media was on his way to Chicago he was in that room at that moment he said he'd never seen anything like that the whole place went still. My question is where did that song come from because many people know the tune but they're not they don't know the words necessarily. That truth was 300 years old planted in a little boy named John. John Newton was born in London in 1725 to a godly mother and a stern sea captain father. Two weeks before John Newton's seventh birthday, his mother Elizabeth died of tuberculosis, and he was left in his father's hands, sent to a British boarding school for a couple of years, and I've been there, and sometimes they're good and sometimes they ain't, and it was not good for John. But when he was 11 years old, something happened, and we'll get to that in a moment. But for years, that boy had the seed of grace in his heart found at his mother's knee. She taught him scripture, she sang songs with him. Those of you who have little people at your house, you grandparents who hang out with little people because they're easier than those older people, you know, those people, when you you have scripture, when you sing songs, don't say, well, he's only four and he won't get it. Four-year-olds can get it, they may not understand it fully. I'm not sure I understand things fully at my age, but the point is there are seeds that are planted and that seed bore a harvest years later. Grace is the framework for what we want to talk about this morning, amazing grace. And in these next few moments I want to explore that truth. There's a song that starts the Gospel of John. It doesn't have melody in the book, in the Bible, it doesn't have melody to it. But most scholars think the first 18 verses of John's Gospel were sung. So when you recite the words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By him, through through him all things were made, nothing has been made without. When you recite that, or read that, there's a a Middle Eastern melody somewhere there, 2,000 years old, right? And, and you get down to verse 14 and this is what it says, the Word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, here it comes, full of grace and truth. In a few minutes I want to give you opportunity to experience that grace, but this Jewish Jesus, he knew Torah. He knew scriptures. There is a word in the, what we call the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word. It sounds a little bit like clearing your throat. It's chesed, chesed. Kid, I'm on the count of three, let's say that together. One, two, three, chesed. It's this, it's this catch-all word. You can't translate it fully into English. The old King James Version translated it loving kindness. But the, the point is that it is mercy, it is compassion, it is covenant, it is loyalty, it is going the extra 12 miles, it's, it's all of those things. And it has to do with God loving Israel whom he made a covenant with and then they wandered off and then he made it again and they wandered off and it sounded a like, lot, lot like me. But the point is this, you get to the New Testament and this word grace, different word, It's the word from which we get charismatic and charisma, means gift, but you find that word 122 times in the New Testament. But there's no individual's grace story in the last 300 years that is more told than the story of John Newton. Four years after his mother died, his father took him with him on his ship. At 11 years old, He gets on a merchant ship. The merchant ship delivered goods but it also delivered people. And in the next 12 years, think of it, in the next 12 years John Newton from age 11 to age 23 was on slave ships that went from England to Africa with money, bought people, put them in a hold shackled sailed across what they called the Middle Passage, the Atlantic, to the Americas, sold them again, bought rum and cotton, and went back to England. The people in England never saw them, but for a couple of hundred years that happened. Millions transported that way. Young John would experience anguish and horror on deck and below decks. He was in spiritual darkness and in physical darkness. At 17, his father had arranged for him to get a job interview, if you will, but he blew that off and went to London to see his girlfriend, Mary Catlett, and on the way, a Navy gang grabbed him. Back in the day, in Britain, they had impressment gangs where they just take a young guy off the street, put him on a warship, and off you'd go. And that was recruitment as it, at its best, apparently. And, and that's what happened to him when he was 17 years old, and for two years he was on that British ship called the Harwich line of the, a ship of the line as they would call it, a warship, and he was rebellious and he wouldn't obey orders and he made up body songs about the captain and he, and, and finally one day he deserted and they caught him, brought him back, tied him to the mast in front of 350 sailors and gave him 96 lashes. He says in his memoirs that at that point in time he was thinking about murdering the captain or killing himself. Within a few months of that time, they got him off that ship and put him on a merchant ship. He ended up in Sierra Leone, West Africa. If you're a map person, it's on the hump of Africa over here. And he himself became a slave for two years. But just think about this for a moment. He's on this ship, on these sailing ships in the mid-1700s, and these are schooners. These are three-masted barquentines or schooners or windjammers, whatever. And they had this unique thing, I've got it here in my backpack, that they had on these ships. This is called a ship's prism. And on the deck of those ships they would cut holes all along the deck because between decks where they kept the goods or the sailors slept or they had guns if it was a warship, there was no light. And they would cut a hole and take this and put it down in that hole and caulk it. So that light would come in here, and out of this little prism down here, you'd get a little bit of light in the between decks. This is the John Newton who, at his mother's knee, had a little bit of light for a few years. But here he is. For, the, for his growing up teenage years, if you will, all of those young man years when a sexual giant is growing in you, when you've got all these, you feel like you're invincible. I felt like I was invincible when I was 15, like for two months. But the, but the point is this, the point is this, he's in a culture. Of human trafficking. We, we support things that are anti trafficking. He was in a human trafficking culture. There was rabid sexuality, there was a brutal physical life. He's swimming in this toxic stew. We don't know how many people John Newton was responsible for killing in one way or another. We don't know how many children were fathered. on. The, we have no idea except in his memoirs he would say, I was a terrible person. I loved sinning, but he was torn. He would, he would try to be holy and then bam, he'd go back over here. And then he'd try to do well and then he'd go back over. Some of us get this. What it's like to be, you know the truth, you've had a little bit of light, and then bam, you go over there and back and forth. So he's a slave himself in Africa, and his father puts out the word to some friends, if you can find my boy John, he's near Sierra Leone, and a friend of his on the ship Greyhound finds him, and they have to convince him, they had to tell him a tale in order to get him on the ship to say he had an inheritance back home. And then they headed north for home. And in the Atlantic off of Donegal on the northwest tip of of, of Ireland, a horrific storm came up. And and the, the cargo shifted and it created holes in the hull of the boat and the ship was sinking in this tremendous storm. And he for 11 hours was at the wheel of that ship outside. Some accounts say that he was tied down so he could hang on. And when they thought the ship was sinking, that little light showed up and John cried out for mercy. The day was March 10th, 1748. He would celebrate that day for the next 60 years of his life every March 10th. The, and the thing is, I love it when people come to an altar or when people receive grace or they, or they make a decision for Jesus as we talk today. And I love it when they change just like that. I love that, boom, 180, like, that wasn't John. That wasn't some of us. We didn't just boom, go like that. This is how he says, I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word word, until a considerable time afterwards. You say, well, I get that, few months, it was years. For the next six years, he still ran slave ships. We say, how does that happen? How do you do that? I have no idea how you do that, but that's what happened and then he had 10 years on shore and he had a physical problem 10 years on shore and then he applied to become an anglican clergyman human trafficker human presence of grace at the other end if john were here and by the way you would not like john newton you wouldn't want your kids around this guy But if he were here this morning and walked onto the platform, I would say, John, I have a question for you. I know you know a gazillion scriptures and you're brilliant and you taught yourself Hebrew and Greek and Syriac. And I know you wrote 280 songs later when you became a a pastor and all that. But if you had some verses that would capture what you feel, what would it be? I think he'd share these verses, Ephesians two, four through nine, because of the great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that we, excuse me, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace. You have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. I love what John Newton wrote about himself in some of his memoirs. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here or online to say I identify with that, but the point is, 24 years after that savage Atlantic storm, John Newton said it a different way. He put it, he put the words down, they had a melody to it, we don't know what that melody was. The one we sing now is not that one. But in 1772, he wrote words to a song. And you have to understand that back in the day in the Anglican church, they had certain kinds of songs you sang and certain ways you sang, but they didn't always connect with the common man. And it was a time when John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield, some of these big names, were preaching not in churches but in fields and in public squares. And there was this huge revival going on in people's lives. And so John Newton said, I want to use language for the plain folk. And when you hear the song, when you hear the language, listen to the the punchy words that he uses. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. I always was a little bothered by that wretch word until I read his story and said, well, there's got to be a stronger word than that. He was horrific. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I, you know the tune. Why don't
1: we just sing it? Let's just try that. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Twas blind, but now I see. I love this second verse. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved How precious did that grace appear The hour I first believed
0: You know there are lots of definitions for grace and we can get into definitions all day long but many of you have heard this one Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Grace is God's preemptive strike. Before I do anything, before I respond to you, you say, I'm, just putting, I'm just putting a gazillion dollars in your bank account, all you have to do is open an account, that's it. That's grace. And mercy is getting what I, not getting what I don't, de- let me try it again. Grace is getting what I, what I don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what I do deserve. It's like somebody coming to your front door and you have a debt, it's called a mortgage, $232,000.12 or, or $82 and whatever it is. And somebody says, I just came to give you, the t- give you the title to your house because the debt's been paid. Grace and mercy go together and grace is the, is the overarching theme. In the last American Great Awakening, which I would say was in the late 1960s, some of you are old enough to remember this, we were having riots in the street and assassinations of leaders and all kinds of things going on. There was this thing that bubbled up called the Jesus Movement and the Jesus people. And uh, many, many university students where we were at the University of Illinois at that time were coming to faith and on Sunday nights, sometimes we asked for songs. I've told you this before, but sometimes we'd ask for songs choices that they, and there's an old gospel song that is called At Calvary, and, and, the, and the refrain of At Calvary goes this way, mercy there was great, and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me, there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. So, here are some conclusions that I've come to over my years. Number one, if you're taking notes, this is where we start, okay? Grace is not natural, grace is not natural, because what's natural is I wanna earn whatever it is. I mean, I'm all for earning, I'm into work, but you don't get grace that way, you can't earn it, it's a free gift from God, whether you like it or not, whether you take it or not, it's there. Grace is not anticipated. I mean, who would have come up with that plan? Why don't, we, why don't we go redeem every human being that ever lived on the planet and we'll just start out by saying, I forgive you for that, for what's upcoming, I'm going to go. I mean, it doesn't, you can't get your head around that, you can't anticipate that plan. And certainly it's not fair. Grace is not fair. If you read that, that story that Jesus tells where the guy hires people during the day, he hires somebody in the morning at 8 o'clock to work at 5, he hires somebody at 12, and, and then he hires somebody at 4 in the afternoon only going to work, and he pays them all the same. And the 8 o'clock guy is saying, whoa, 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 that's not fair. And, and the owner says, yeah, but that was the deal we made. I mean, that was... This isn't about fair. This is about a sovereign God saying, I'm gonna grace the world with my presence. Secondly, grace surprises us. You, you, you never know when grace is gonna show up. You know what grace looks like? Grace looks like you. Looks like that face, that shape, that age, that heart. Um, two weeks ago today, I was in the hospital in Arlington, Virginia. Ruth and I had taken a three-week driving tour. We were gonna see some colors. I was gonna speak at Mark Batterson's church in Washington, D.C., and then in Charlottesville, and we were just gonna have a good time for two old people. And so we were, you know, driving six hours a day and all this kind of stuff. And we stopped in Arlington, Virginia at an Italian, sandwich shop, it's called the Italian store, and uh, we've been there many, many times across the river from Washington, D.C., and I got out of the car to go in and get us a sandwich, and when I got in, I felt just a little funny, but I got my, there was a long line, so I didn't want to order, and they were doing grab-and-go sandwiches, a Milano. It's a wonderful sandwich, it's got prosciutto, it's got ham, it's got Gruyere cheese, it's got all that stuff. And so I grabbed one and I walked up to the counter and I was feeling a little this way and I said to the young lady, I'm going to give you the credit card, pay for the the sandwich and the chips, but I'm not feeling great, I think I'm just going to kneel down right here. And I started to kneel down and that's the last thing I remember. And the next thing I remember is I had an arm around my shoulders, A woman was holding my hand, looking me in the face. One was down by my feet. It was in an area where there were a lot of military, I think these were military women, medical, military women. And uh, she said to me, sir, can you hear me? And I said, yes, Said, what's your name? I said, Dick, do you know where you are? The Italian store. Do you know what happened? I said, I think I passed out. Long story short, and, and you say, well, how did grace, well, the, there's this thing that theologians call common grace, that because we are made in the image of God, there's parts of compassion. You don't have to be a Jesus follower to have a heart of compassion. And so here, here they were, and then the, Then the fire trucks came, the big old burly firemen, and they get me in the ambulance, a big ambulance, not some tiny ambulance, serious ambulance. Anyway, we go off to the hospital, and Ruth is with me, and our whole schedule goes up in the air. I'm supposed to speak the next morning, da-da-da-da-da. It was 24 hours that felt like a week. Ever had 24 hours that felt like a week? That was one of those. And I'm there in ICU, and three hours later, Ruth is saying, I'm really hungry. I said, Ruth, you got that sandwich, the Milan, and go, to, you know, do that. She went through that like a combine in a Kansas wheat field. It was just something. Yeah. And so, and, and what happened was that Grace showed up. Mark Batterson had to prep to preach twice the next day, overnight. And then Jim and Mary, who our friends came and got our car where we left at the Italian store. And then Alex and Sherilyn, whom we had known a long time ago because her dad used to be a VP with me in the college. They gave Ruth a place to stay. And then Josh, who's from here, happened to be there. And he came and picked Ruth up and took her where she needed to go. And then Thomas and Dana. Thomas is a doctor who came and prayed for Ruth nine years ago. when she went. he's now Chief of Cardiac Surgery at Johns Hopkins Suburban in Washington, D.C. He arranged for Ruth to have access to ER and then Erica, our daughter, flew from Oregon to drive us home, and it was Grace. And, and after they did the test, you know, they did a brain scan to see if I'd had a stroke. And I, I love medical language. It came back and said, the test was unremarkable. <laughs> it's a little hurt, but the fact is, they did the head and the heart and, you know, both unremarkable, and they were trying to, because they found out we had COVID. So both of us had COVID, and here we are in this place and grace showed up in those. And I started thinking, so these are people who, who, who are full of grace toward us. Where did, they, where, where did grace find them? Because I, I believe that grace finds us. We talk about Jesus being the hound of heaven, full of grace and truth, hunting us up to the days and down the years. And it found Mark in Minneapolis, Minnesota years ago, Mark Batterson. He was five-year-old, his dad was a judge in Minneapolis, he had a study full of artifacts and fossils, and he said, Mark, I like you in here, just don't play with any of those, and Mark went in and played with them at five years old, dropped one, broke it. His, his judge grandpa came into the room, saw that, picked up the pieces, picked up Mark, gave him a huge hug, and said, I love you. And Grace found him. I, I called Mark and said, is that the first moment in your life that you could think of Grace finding you? He said, yes. And Grace found Jim and Mary, the, those friends in Buffalo, New York, Alex and Sherrilyn, Colorado, and Northern California. Uh, Josh, the guy who drove us, found him in Hong Kong. He was on the run. And, and Grace found him in Hong Kong. Thomas and Dana, the doctor, and his lawyer wife at Harvard. Grace found them at Harvard. They came to faith. There, I didn't know Jesus was at Harvard. I just, I didn't know, he's at Harvard. Just want you to know, how many believe Jesus is everywhere? He's at the Harvards of the world and he's on the slave ships. That's where he is. And he found Erica, our daughter in Illinois, found Ruth in central California, found me in South India. Grace never stops. Grace is always enough. It isn't just that you got grace then, it's that it's ongoing. I have grace now. Grace today, grace tomorrow. I uh, I was in a little group with some friends and there was a doctor in this town. Doctor was a surgeon, plastic surgeon. His specialty was cleft palates in babies. And one day he came to me and said, Dick, you got a little something here under your eye. Why don't you swing by the office? I think it's probably pre We could take that off. And so I went in there and he sliced and I did this. And I said, at the end I said, so how many stitches? Mark, he said, uh, you know, we got it done. I said, well, was it 12 or 24? I'm just interested. He said, let me give you the Rolls-Royce answer. These are Rolls-Royces from the 20s and 30s. Are they the coolest or what? But if you bought one of those and you got the owner's manual, you could read all about it, and you get to the horsepower line, and there is no number. On the horsepower line, it says one word, sufficient. (laughs) Whatever you need to do with that baby, you got enough horses to do it. And, and he said, that's the Rolls Royce answer to your question. And it, you know, I always thought sufficient was like, okay, or average, or adequate. I've come to the understanding that sufficient has to do with just right. If you have a 10-ounce cup, you don't need 13 ounces. If you have a 10-ounce cup, 10 ounces is sufficient. It's enough. Can you, can you hear the song? From Newton.
1: Let's sing that third verse. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home.
0: And I hear the echo of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, when he says, I had this thing, this thorn in my fl- flesh. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient, is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And John Newton's journey, talk about weakness. He was all over the place. He would try to read the Bible, and then he'd do horrific things. Then he'd go over here, and then he'd go back over there. And I, I, you say, why do you keep saying that? Because this journey, I'm saying, you know, w- when is God going to say, enough, I cut that sucker off. When am I going to just assign him to the deep and let him go? That's why I'm not God. That's one of the reasons. This God hunts us up the days and down the years this god finds us in the storms of our life and shows us once again that glimmer of light that we got back in the day somewhere somebody prayed it into us and some of us know what what this feels like what i'm describing it's been a fight and here's god in his grace who takes my broken pieces and makes me a more beautiful whole Some months ago we referenced this but the Japanese have this thing that started some hundreds of years ago where when pottery was broken they started putting it back together with glue mixed with gold. Those are the broken pieces, this is the process and that's the pot put back together. Grace is like gold, here is the God who restores us by the gold of his grace and makes us more Beautiful and more powerful and more valuable, if you could be, than we ever were. So you're saying, how do I get that grace? How do I get that? James says it this way in his letter to the church. And he gives grace, God gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. St. Augustine said it this way, God gives where he finds empty hands. If Foth is holding on to his insecurities, if Foth is holding on to his arrogance, if Foth is saying, I think I can still do it. If I've got that in my hands, I'm not free to receive. Empty hands, hands that say, I desperately need you. God have mercy on me when my hands are open that's when grace shows up. So, praise in our songs and other ways as a response to grace. I just wanna say this about thankfulness as a response to grace. If any of you have ever been in a 12-step program, a recovery program, they will say, keep a journal of gratitude. What are the things you're grateful for today? If I take you to medical experts who study longevity, they say, gratitude thankfulness is the single greatest marker of health and longevity in a human being when you find a grateful thankful person and when I've experienced the grace of God that shows up and and here's how John Newton wrote it in that last verse when we've been here
1: 10,000 years bright shining as the sun We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun.
0: There was a point when I was putting this message together and I'm reading all these verses on grace and I'm reading John Newton's story and I'm saying, it's too much. It's, it's too much to take in, and I want my prayer, I don't know how many years I have left, you know, I could have 32, I bet I'd be, I'd walk slower. But the point is this, I want this to be my prayer, let my life become a response to your magnificent, never-ending, overwhelming, mind-boggling grace. Finally. In a few minutes I'm gonna just give us all an opportunity to respond to that grace, but to receive grace and give grace is a choice. Some of us who have said to our kids, or at least have, have said in our heads when they're acting out or acting up, do you have any idea what I've done for you? I, I know you don't want to confess that, I'm just saying I know you, I know how that works. And here's the God, here's the God who never says that apparently, he says I'm just going to keep giving, I'm just going to keep doing this. Here is the man, John Newton, who throughout his life referenced himself as the great blasphemer. This is what I said to God. He had been given grace by Almighty God through Jesus, and for 60 years, from age 23 till he died at 82, he was learning how to give away grace himself. Is it possible? I just had this thought. We talk about the Great Commission, going to all the world, sharing the good news about Jesus, the message of Jesus. I'm, I'm wondering if it's possible that to live a life overflowing in grace being a person who quickly and easily forgives, being a person who shows mercy without end, if that in and of itself is not the greatest single evidence of a transformed life. It may not be about the verses I quote, I love the verses, but it may be about just that willingness to grace people when we find him in the silliest, saddest places. Grace comes along and finds me in the silliest, saddest places, hiding behind my achievements and my failures. And it tags me and says, you're it. And I believe the God of all the universe means that. I said to the Lord, save me from being an unforgiving servant. You know, that there's that little story that Jesus tells about a guy who has forgiven the equivalent of a debt of a small nation millions of dollars and then somebody owes him 10 bucks and he puts them up against the wall and says I want my 10 bucks and the owner comes back and says we'll have none of that let me be a person who experiences the grace of God in such a powerful way I choose to receive grace John Newton had a young colleague that he mentored by the name of William Wilberforce and Wilberforce was a young man in Parliament who who led the charge against human trafficking and slavery. And 59 years after John Newton shouted out in that storm, God have mercy on me, the slave trade was abolished in Britain in March of that year, 1807, and John Newton died in September. And on his deathbed, somebody came to see him and he said, my memory's not good. He was blind by that time, physically blind. My memory's not good, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner, but in Christ, I have a great Savior. What started as a little light turned into a blaze of glory. And here we are 300 years later singing the words that that man wrote, and on his tombstone it says this, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel. A faithless person and a libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith I had long labored to destroy. I have sung Amazing Grace hundreds of times. I've sung it at the bedside of the sick, at the altar of a hundred churches. In a car going across country, in front rooms and scores of homes. I've sung it with hundreds of thousands of men at Promise Keepers in the Washington DC mall in front of Lincoln Memorial in the Capitol building. I've sung it with tribal people on the Curaray River in Ecuador who killed the people who brought them the message of grace. I've sung it standing and lying and kneeling. And I've always sung it with joy, with tears, and always with hope and a grateful heart. Would you stand with me, please? We're gonna worship in song in just a moment, but I'd like to take this moment just to ask you, if you if you would, don't feel pressured to do this, but just to pray with me. I'm just gonna pray a prayer for the receiving one more acknowledgement of God's grace. And if you're here or you're online and you say, I have never done anything like that, today's the day. Just jump right in. We're all going to do this and just say, I'm like that Newton guy. Well, good on you. He's why you came. But if you feel comfortable doing this, please do that. If you don't, that's fine. I'm going to do that. And I'm just gonna pray in short phrases. And if you out loud would join me in prayer, I just, I just think the angels would cheer. That's what I think. So let's pray. Father, here I am. You know me. You know my heart. I receive your grace afresh this day. Thank you that it washes me clean, that it gives me hope, that it gives me a future, and it gives me great relief. Thank you for your gift of Jesus who will walk with me every day. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said. Amen.